This recording is a production of Faith Builders Educational Programs. This presentation was recorded at Teachers Week 2018, held at Faith Builders on July 31 to August 3. Let's bow our heads to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our example, and the model teacher. And uh, we pray that we would be self-disciplined, we would be disciples of his, and that we would help our students to be self-disciplined also, and uh, help us to prevent discipline problems in the classroom, and also to correct them in a way that is godly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Miss Peach gives her class a little talk on the first day. I'm so glad we had a chance to get together. This is going to be such a fun year for you. You're going to make soup and soap, and we're going to paint a mural, cover that entire wall. We'll take field trips, and we're going to play games. This is going to be a great year. You're going to love me, and I'm going to love you, and we're just going to have a ball. Her curriculum is well saturated with fun, fun, fun activities, which are her tokens of affection to her class. All goes well the first day of school because the students are a little intimidated by the start of a new academic year. But about three days later, little Butch is sitting over on the left, and he wants to know what everyone else is questioning too. How far can we push, push Miss Peach? He's anxious to make a name for himself as a brave toughie, and he might be able to build his reputation at Miss Peach's expense. At a well-calculated moment, he challenges her with a small act of defiance. Now, the last thing Miss Peach wants is conflict. Because she had hoped to avoid that sort of thing, she doesn't accept Butch's challenge. She pretends not to notice that he didn't do what she told him to do. He wins the first minor issue. Everyone in the class saw what was happening. Wasn't a big deal, but Butch escaped unscathed. The next day, Matthew has been greatly encouraged by Butch's success. Shortly after the opening exercises, he defies her a little more openly than Butch did. And Miss Peach again ignores the challenge. From that moment forward, a chaos begins to grow and intensify. Two weeks later, Miss Peach is beginning to notice that things are not going very well. She's doing a lot of screaming each day, and she doesn't know how it got started. She certainly didn't intend to be a violent teacher. By February, life has become intolerable in her classroom. Every new project she initiates is sabotaged by her lack of control. And now the thing she wanted least begins to happen. The students openly reveal their dislike and contempt for her. They call her names, they laugh at her weaknesses. If she has a physical flaw such as a large nose or poor eyesight, they point this out to her regularly. Miss Peach cries quietly at recess time and her head throbs and pounds late into the night. The principal comes in and witnesses the anarchy and says, Miss Peach, you must get control of this class. But Miss Peach doesn't know how to get control because she doesn't know how she lost it. It's been estimated that 80% of the teachers who quit their jobs after the first year do so because of an inability to maintain discipline in their classroom. Now, let me interrupt this writing from Dare to Discipline by James Dobson by saying, there is a greater occupational hazard in Christian schools as far as people quitting. What is the greatest occupational hazard? these young gentlemen that remove young ladies from the classroom. <laughs> Consider the contrasting approach of the skillful teacher, Mrs. Justice. <coughs> she wants the love of the class too, but she's keenly aware of her responsibility to the students. On the first day of school, she delivers her inaugural address but it's very different from the one being spoken by Miss Peach. She says, in effect, 
This is going to be a good year, and I'm glad you are my students. I want you to know that each one of you is important to me. I hope you will feel free to ask your questions and to enjoy learning in this class. I will not allow anyone to laugh at you because it hurts to be laughed at. I will never embarrass you intentionally and I want to be your friend. But there's one thing you should know. If you choose to challenge me, I have a thousand ways to make you miserable. If you don't believe me, you can just let me know and we'll start with number one. <laughs> Actually, I don't promote that approach. Not with adolescents anyhow, or they'll take you up on the challenge. And uh, you'll have quite a bit of tension, I predict. Anyhow, I've seen that approach did not work very well. I'm just reading what Mrs. Justice says. Uh, your parents have given me the responsibility of teaching you some very important things this year. And I have to get you ready for the knowledge you will learn next year. That's why I can't let one or two show-offs keep me from doing my job. We have a lot to learn, so I think we'd better get started. Please take out your math books and turn to page four. About three days later, Butch's counterpart is on the job. There's at least one Butch in every classroom. If the classroom antagonist leaves during the year, a new demagogue will emerge to prominence. He challenges Mrs. Justice in a cautious manner and she socks it to him. He loses big. Everyone in the class gets the message. Doesn't pay to attack Mrs. Justice. Then he says, I follow a little formula. Don't smile till Thanksgiving. An overstatement. But by November, this competent teacher has made her point. The class knows she's tougher, wiser, and braver than they are. Then she can begin to enjoy the pleasure of this foundation. She can loosen her control. The class can laugh together, talk together, and play together. But when Mrs. Justice says, okay, time to get back to work, they do it because they know she is capable of enforcing her suggestion. She doesn't scream. She doesn't hit. In fact, she can pour out the individual affection that most children need so badly. The class responds with deep love that will never be forgotten in those lives. Mrs. Justice has harvested the greatest source of satisfaction available in the teaching profession, awareness of profound influence on human lives. you to tell someone close to you what this has to do with uh, discipline. What points of discipline were illustrated by the approach of Miss Peach and Mrs. Justice. So go on, turn around a little bit or face somebody and start talking about what, what that illustrates about discipline. Go ahead now. Okay, thank you. So are you going to be like Miss Peach? Or Mrs. Justice? Remember, uh, not last September, the previous September, I think it was, I had two young men coming into my classroom, grade seven, teach grade seven to 10. And they had a bit of a reputation. Had a bunch of boys. These two boys uh, had them, um, working at something on the chalkboard and I was busy with some other students and uh, I looked up and they had a big area of chalk, both of them on their back. 
that's not a real good place for chalk dust to be. And it usually has a certain way of getting there. So, um, asked them to stay behind recess time, and I talked to them. Yeah, they were guilty, and so had them have a detention. They both like athletic stuff. And um, their parents needed to sign a letter about this, and I forget how long they maybe a day or two. It was, it was a fairly stiff discipline for the beginning of the year. But I was going to be gone for about seven days in September with a couple of substitute teachers and I didn't want to risk anything. But um, for the rest of the year they actually were very cooperative and they've continued to be that way. But I think I sort of, I tried to win the first battle there. Doesn't always work but it's, it's nice when it does. All right, looking at our outline sheet here. And out, discipline, preventive and corrective. There's a verse in the Bible that says, let all things be done decently and in order. So that's what we want for our classroom, that things would be done decently and in order. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 40. Let's understand misbehavior, first of all. Heredity has something to do with it. Um, or is it environment? The basic problem with Students' misbehavior is their parents. It's a parental thing, right? Adam and Eve. The carnal nature that all of our students have. However, there are some traits that run in the family. It, it seems stubbornness or shyness and things like that. And, and then there's the other aspect of heredity, which is the new birth, born from above. And that can make a tremendous difference too. So there's something to be said about heredity physical influences. If your students lack sleep, they've been out late Sunday night, Monday morning, lack of sleep might make them touchy or stubborn or uncooperative. Secondly, students' health. I had two students a number of years ago that both needed a kidney transplant, had a genetic disorder, and uh, they were rather slow in their work and um, sluggish. So there might be that, it might be a sluggish thyroid or infected tonsils or something like that. Students' health can affect their behavior. Thirdly, if they skip breakfast, it can affect their alertness by 11.30. I remember in grade two, I had a fellow student at New Dundee Public School in Ontario that uh, chewed crayons. Sort of admired him, I guess, for getting this to me. I think he wanted more colorful speech. I'm not sure what he was. <laughs> I know in Guatemala, when I visited there, I have two children in mission work in Guatemala. There they feed them a breakfast at about mid-morning. And it helps them academically. Fourth, there might be a defect in one of the senses. So the person who seems to be disobedient maybe just didn't hear what you said and so they didn't respond obediently. Or maybe it's a vision problem. But they're not cooperating because they, they, they didn't see what the assignment was. So maybe they're, or maybe they're tired of, of, of reading and their eyes get sore and so they think it's more fun to bug the person beside them. So heredity, physical influences, and now home influences. Variations of standards of discipline. You know, some parents train their children to respond after the second or third admonition, instead of the first time. Or they start bargaining with their children. Various standards of discipline. There may be a lack of uh, emotional security. So they don't feel good about themselves, so they comp uh, compensate for their feeling of inadequacy by trying to get attention of others and, and uh, the admiration of their peers. Thirdly, it might be an only child. Any of you an only child in your family? Nobody. Okay, that's interesting. So you're all well adapted, adjusted, uh, sociable creatures. Good. Well, sometimes an only child uh, has a little more problem in relating to others, not necessarily. 
Fourthly, it might be a new baby in the family. And so the new baby is getting all the attention, so the uh, child at school exhibits some anti-social tendencies. There may be a conflict between parents. Maybe they had a big blow-up at breakfast, an argument. Maybe it's financial anxieties. A number of years ago, I had a children in my class who knew that their father was dying of cancer. So it can be things on a parental level that are affecting things in your classroom. Sex parental speech. If the uh, teacher is very, if the parent is very critical of the school and of the teacher makes disparaging comments about you as the teacher, then that can uh, affect their attitudes and behavior in the classroom. Seventh, undue pressure on children to succeed. You know, they think that little Johnny is going to be a future Einstein, and here he is flunking second grade. And so, or, or almost, and so they're putting pressure on the, on the child, and, and so he might cheat, or she might cheat. Girls sometimes cheat too. And uh, so that's a problem. I remember my sister um, claimed to be the first dumbest in the class. So she was first in something anyhow. But uh, I'm glad that my parents didn't put pressure on her. We just, and for me, I was a basket case by the, as I began grade two, the teacher said, Howard forgot everything I taught him in grade one. So I guess I improved along the way someplace. Inappropriate attention-seeking is another thing that can be a reflection of the home. If they don't feel good about the attention they get at home, uh, and if they're unsuccessful in academics, they can have success in troublemaking. So it's a good idea to find an area where they can. I'll, uh, maybe I have a, a young gentleman who's not particularly academic, but he knows how to fix things. So here's a pencil sharpener that doesn't work. Here's a stapler that has gone kaput. Um, get them to fix things, or maybe if it's a student that um, I can give some special attention to by having him in charge of the sports equipment, and so he gets to leave early at the near the end of the day and go and round up the sports equipment, and so they feel recognized and and doing something important rather than seeking recognition in, in uh, less acceptable ways. Any comments or questions so far? Okay. Let's think about preventing discipline problems. First of all, by love. Love shows sympathy as well as kindness. So the first year I was teaching at my present school, I've been there now 36, 37 years. Fairhaven School, Beachy Army School in Ontario. And a uh, little fellow, grade one, fell in the mud, and I guess I was there, and I picked him up and said some soothing words to him. And I forgot all about it, and when we talk, when I talked to the parents, um, they said, brother, they said that this little chap said, brother Bean is such a kind man. So I was happy to hear that, especially since it was the bishop's son. <laughs> never, he wasn't a particular academic sort of person, but I never really had any trouble with him in the, in the 10 years that he was there at school. So, there might be some of our students who are muddied by interpersonal mistakes or personality idiosyncrasies, things that just don't sit too well with other students. Uh, Maybe they have poor hygiene. I do have students in my class sometimes that I can sort of know who they are with my eyes closed, <laughs> just by using my nose. Sometimes we can help those students by talking to their parents kindly. Prevent discipline problems by love, by Admitting your mistakes. Love prompts a teacher to admit mistakes and apologize to students, saying, I'm sorry, I, I was upset. 
I didn't speak very graciously. Or I made a mistake in totaling your test score. I am sorry about that. Confession is good for the soul. It's also great for interpersonal relationships, including those in the classroom. One teacher, I didn't know this teacher personally, but reported that he, uh, whenever he'd make a mistake, like at the chalkboard or his speech, he would say, um, I did that just to see if you were listening and paying attention. Students knew that was not the case. He just didn't want to admit his mistake. And it prompted them to be disrespectful to him, and, and uh, he didn't have a lot of credibility in their eyes. And love gave words of commendation. <coughs> Commending words, words of praise, of appreciation is an excellent way to make students feel secure and motivated and liking school, wanting to please the teacher, these are all factors that help to prevent discipline problems. And as you read the epistles, you'll see over and over, especially in Paul's epistles, that uh, there are words of commendation. Even a place like Corinth that had a lot of problems, he was very commending of them. Here's a few more methods of preventing discipline problems. First of all, pray. So I'm gonna ask you now to tell your little group or partner for whom should you pray as far as preventing or having to do with discipline. So go ahead and say uh, a person or two or a group that you could pray for. Go ahead and tell your partner. <coughs> Good, thank you. So you can pray for your pupils that they'll be cooperative and have self-control. You can pray for yourself that you will have self-control and have understanding and be patient. You can pray for yourself that you'd have discernment and uh, in guiding your students' behavior. Some teachers like to sit in the desks of their students and pray for that individual who is at that desk. Another thing, prepare. Have a good beginning of the lesson, move the lessons along sprightly, have them interesting, and if you prepare, you're feeling likely going to feel a lot more confident. And as you feel confident, then the students realize, oh, this guy knows where he's going, this lady teacher knows what she's doing. And so they feel more secure. And students who feel secure tend to behave better rather than acting out. So, and, and you're not need. oh, pardon me. Forgot something here. And maybe it's quiet for 30 seconds in the class, but then all kinds of things can happen while the teacher is running to get some supplies. So I'm saying here, prepare. Your lesson also prepare your materials. Part C, minimize distractions. That might be from other classrooms, noises, uh, and even movement. Some teachers have a lot more movement in their classroom than others. Um, but anyway, anytime you've got people uh, uh, walking around and you've got all kinds of possibilities to have disorder or misbehavior. So minimize, you can't eliminate all distractions. D, give clear instructions. So make it crystal clear what you expect the student to do. Sometimes they're talking to each other or horsing around because they really don't know what they are supposed to be doing. So good idea is <clears throat> when you're wanting to give instructions and there's a bit of a general hubbub and noise and maybe you call for attention and there's some, you know, some 
noise. Just wait till everything is perfectly quiet. And probably they're going to be looking at you, something like just what everyone of you is looking at me right now. And so then you can give the instruction. Then everybody hears it. Um, give it clearly. And uh, so they know what they're supposed to be doing. E, may I maintain eye contact. In other words, if you're sitting at your desk, most of the time, it is down. <coughs> All kinds of things can be happening. So, if you if you need to sit at your desk, look up periodically. But um, even as you're teaching, um, look at your students. Now, when I was 13, I was very, very shy. I had very great trouble looking anybody in the eye. That has changed somewhat over the years. But there's something about the eyes that communicate something and, and can certainly help a, student, uh, a teacher to maintain control. Um, this, uh, this, is, this comes to mind. It probably isn't worth saying, but did you hear why the cross-eyed teacher quit teaching? She had no control of her pupils. Anyhow. <laughs> um, remember the value of proximity, being close proximity. So here I have a student back here at the back. They tend to gravitate toward the back. And they're horsing around or throwing something or Hoping somebody, so I just continue my lesson as I as I stand here. Maybe I, I look at them a bit. Maybe I have a pencil in my hand. <laughs> I sort of get the point. There's something about closeness, proximity. That makes person feel a little self-conscious. <laughs> Evaluate what's going on here, anyhow. Don't forget to, to move around if you're if you're capable of moving around if your classroom permits that. Keep students busy. Someone said idle bodies are busy bodies. So keep them busy with worthwhile, interesting work. Some extra activities perhaps, um, puzzles or hands-on projects in spare time, uh, challenges for memory work or reading books, and I forget what I did one year. I had a whole wall about that big, and I had bricks. And no, they weren't that big, they were small bricks. Anyway, every brick had the name of a book on it. Uh, the student, every time they read another 300-page book or whatever it was, they stuck another brick on the wall, and then when we got to 500 bricks on the wall or something, we had something extraordinary or special. H, provide variety. So you might have students stand up or sing. So here's a song. song we sing. We're following, following Jesus. We're following, following Jesus. Jesus is leading us, he is our guide. We're following, following him. You can hum that if you like. We're following, following Jesus. We're following, following Jesus. Jesus is leading us, he is our guide. We're following, following him. Stand up, please. We're following, following Jesus. We're following, following Jesus. Jesus is leading us. He is our guide. We're following, following Him. That's good for teachers. You can sing that song in your class now instead of follow the path of Jesus. It's it sort of old after a while. So let's sing this song one more time. We're following, following Jesus. We're following, following Jesus. We're following, following Jesus. Jesus is leading us. He is our guide. We're following.
So, variation. Give some surprises sometime. But I insist on adherence to rules. So, make sure that you, if you have a rule, you try to nip misconduct in the bud. Don't let a little problem develop into something more serious. Part J, be an example of order and self-discipline yourself. So it might be your clothing, having your desk reasonably orderly. Have self-control as far as uh, patience is concerned, your temper. Students want to, don't want your temper, so don't lose a thing. Comments here now or questions about preventing discipline problems. Any of those things in particular resonate with you that you'd like to comment or you have a question or clarification? Okay, we'll give tenants for questions later on. Let's think about some goals of corrective discipline. We're switching now from preventing discipline problems to correcting them when they do occur. God has some objectives in chastening us. God's discipline arises out of his love for us. So Hebrews chapter 12. says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And God wants to help us and develop in us right living and holiness. So the analogy here from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, is that uh, just like an earthly father disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines us. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. How much more much rather be in subjection unto the Father's spirits and live. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless afterward. Ooh, yeah. Afterward. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. We might be partakers of his holiness, so. Now the teacher's goals. First of all, to change behavior. Not because it's an affront to you as a teacher. That you're insulted by their, their disobedience, but it's building a desire to do better, to change behavior. Their attitude or their speech. It's not to be corrective or not punitive, but rather it is to be corrective. So if a pupil races down the stairs in such a way that he could crash into another person or trip and injure himself, up you go, down the stairs 10 times instead of going outside for recess right away. If a pupil needs to redo sloppy work at home, instead of finishing it at school, he probably will learn to do it right the first time. If a pupil gets into a fight with another pupil, with a conference between the principal and the student and the parent, he may get the, the message and change. Secondly, to warn others. As First Timothy 5.20 says, them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. So when one student is punished for an infraction, like the case with Mrs. Justice that I read about at the beginning, the others get the point. One student misses recess because of unfinished homework. Other students will presumably grow in their determination to get their work done. If one student bullies another student, a younger student, and is sent to the principal's office, oh, if a window is broken through carelessness, oh, I'd better be careful. And thirdly, a goal is to teach the law of sowing and reaping. And uh, I've talked with uh, people who've worked with young offenders. And they say the big problem is that these young offenders who end up in the correctional system don't get the connection between what they've done and the consequences. They just say it's just happened to me or fault of somebody else. Teach the law of sowing and reaping. 
Now let's consider remedial discipline. Perhaps you have never had any corrective discipline in your life. God bless you if that's the case. And I hope you will check yourself as far as uh, your uh, honesty and uh, that sort of thing is, or, or maybe your memory. But anyway, I'd like you to turn and tell somebody else, confess to somebody else in your body something that you did wrong and if you remember it, and what happened as a Confession is good for the soul. And uh, um, who heard something by way of a means of discipline that you never experienced yourself? You'd like to tell us about anybody here from somebody else? I mean, it might be embarrassing for them to say it, but <laughs> your partner can say it. Any unusual punishments or any especially effective? the usual paddling and uh, sent to, I remember one of our daughters, missionary now, when she was bad, I guess I set her in the corner and we had some old, it's an old house and had wallpaper and not real exact corners. So she'd stand there and pour coals in the, in the, in the wallpaper and she admitted that years afterwards. That punishment didn't work too well. Yes. I couldn't think of anyone else talking to my partner, but I did think about, I remember in school, uh, kids remember not to do a punishment of shameless do it. Like a third grade teacher that she wanted to cure the habit of raising her hand and puffing and puffing, and she would tie up, she threatened. I never had it happen to me, but she would threaten to use a bright red string and tie a around the end of the day, and I remember one student had to wear that around all day. So. The, the, the problem was they were making a lot of noise in there. <laughs> and so to put, to shame the student, they had to wear something that identified them as someone that needs to correct that problem. You weren't too impressed with that? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> it wasn't you, though? No, it wasn't. Did you learn from it? I remember. You remember it? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about unsuitable punishments. Um, well, maybe since you've introduced that, we'll talk about that right now. What do you think are some disciplinary measures that either are unsuitable, um, unscriptural, uh, impractical, uh, unworkable, unwise. So, shaming a student by having them, or, or, or I've heard of some students that uh, have a problem with getting out of their desk, so the teacher would tie them to the desk. You get into problems legally on, on some of that sort of thing. Certainly in the public system. Of course, if I was still teaching in the public system, and here I have a student that's not paying attention. Assault. You're not like they thought in a Christian school. But if you touch people, you're in danger. As a teacher. It's in, in many school districts. I'm from, from Ontario, maybe it's different. Animal 
here in Pennsylvania. All right, what are some other uh, not so wise things? I had a student who was physically injured by a discipline from someone That is obviously Abuse, yeah. Harsh punishment. Not right. There is, there is, I mean, there are some reasons why corporal punishment gets a bad press. But there are some problems with it too sometimes. Okay, others? Yes? My brothers and sisters had a teacher one term that was a rather interesting yeah. And it wasn't so much the punishments she used as the attitude of as the attitude she put behind it that made them feel like reacting more just because of the attitude she had. She didn't really use out of line punishments. It was just They could read her attitude and instead of responding positively it increased the dumb teacher, yeah. But that was the attitude that she not that's not the attitude that she had, but what she gave them, that's what they felt about her. Uh -huh. Probably related to the rapport that she had in other, uh, the relationship that she had. Don't, um, don't use punishments uh, that the students enjoy. There's one teacher, all 240 pounds of her. When she'd get really frustrated, she would get up. Anyway, she got up on the, on the desk and had a whistle and blew it at maximum firepower. And the students would plot at recess time, how can they get that teacher up there in the desk? <laughs> she thought that was her way of correction. Or even uh, some boy-girl things, you know, okay, a problem here. So put a girl up here beside Michael. And I'll teach him, well, maybe Michael likes the lady. <laughs> And backfire that way too, and, and just embarrassing, not a good idea, unnecessarily. Other ways that are inappropriate. I know someone who had he had a problem uh, moving in his seat, so she took a yardstick down the back of his shirt and stuck to his thoughts in his chair, and he was stuck there until she moved the yardstick. <laughs> Never heard of that one before. <laughs> New use of yardstick. Did it, did it increase his backbone? <laughs> Anything else that you would caution us or that you think doesn't work? These appendages on the side of the ear, <laughs> on the side of the head, the ear. I know one Christian school teacher. She or she grab hold of the hair. <laughs> Not very appropriate. Um, sarcasm and ridicule. Did you have one? Well, just thinking to what age would spanking be appropriate? At what age did you get your last spanking that was effective? I had, I had someone in, 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 in Canada, the Supreme Court has ruled, it's not officially a law, that no child should be spanked under age two and over age 12, and that no implement or instrument may be used, just the parental hand. In Ontario, you're not supposed to do any spanking according to the Ministry of Education. However, it's not generally enforced by, by officials. There, there comes a point where spanking doesn't affect positive change or attitude. I, I had a boy in boy in grade seven. He was, he was just doing little things, uh, aggravating things, dumb things, uh, disobedient things, and I'd give him detentions and he'd write out lines and he'd get a letter from his parent returned to me and dad took me aside one time and he said, you know, I think if you would just spank the boy, that's what it would take. So took him off on his word. And I think I would have had a witness for it. And that changed his attitude. That was in grade seven, so that, that's probably the upper limit as far as my opinion is concerned. 
Anybody have any input on that? I think you want to make sure to give that you have parental support. Yes. That would be good. I would always have that before I was. <laughs> oh. Yeah. No, my teacher threatened to spank me when I was in grade seven, and I was kind of shocked. But <laughs> you thought you were. I thought I was past this. So it was. Yeah, made me wake up. He never did, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I did get one in grade eight, come to think of it, but uh, it wasn't hard. It was just, well, anyway. Um, I had a, a grade 11 French teacher that had this nasty habit. If I wasn't, well, I didn't get it too often, so I, there's a certain muscle here, trapezius. Are you familiar with this muscle? And what, yeah. He's not very responsive to this, but there's a, there's a nerve there. There's what? You mean that nerve? The yeah, well, was I not getting the muscle perhaps? There's, anyway, there's something in there that can make people squirm. I, I don't use that one, except in fun sometimes, but uh, a punishment that's too mild doesn't work either. Or writing out reams of scripture. We hope they will love the scriptures. Oh, how love I thy law, not how I hate the Bible because I had to write out Psalm 119 as punishment. Okay, back to uh, some points here about remedial discipline. Part five, dealing with dis misbehavior, be consistent. <clears throat> so <clears throat> if one day the student gets nailed for an offense and the next day you overlook it, where, where am I with this teacher? So it's not the severity of the punishment, but the certainty that's most important. That's the way it is with training animals too. It's not the severity, it's the certainty. It doesn't have to be harsh, but should be certain. Secondly, nip it in the bud. So you might say, hey, you know, when you're jabbering away or poking, it, it interferes with your neighbor's rights. They have a uh, responsibility, they have a right to learn. Um, please don't bother them. Thirdly, be alert and observant and vigilant. Guard against complacency. Yet, yeah, don't always be suspicious of your students and watching them in a suspicious way. Fourth, make the punishment fit the crime. In other words, don't use a sledgehammer to kill a mosquito. Use suggestion in the fifth place. Oh, I love the way the pupils in this first row, they're paying attention, they're writing neatly, and so everybody else in the class wants to be just like this charming row. You know, this works with grade one and two. I don't do it with grade nine and two. Although there's some other less obvious ways to achieve the same thing. I like the way, or you can simply come in where possible. Six, employ gentle disapproval. This would be for the pupil who derives pleasure from pleasing the teacher. You know, they're, they're, they're a good egg. They're, they're normally a... So, here we have uh, Karen, and uh, she, she likes to please the teacher. Actually, you're doing very well there, Karen. So, Relate the punishment to the offense. So if they've been throwing paper wads around, littering the floor, have them sweep the floor. If they have black marks that they're leaving on the floor, have them scrub them off. Scribbling on the desk, well, they can clean all the desks in the room, that sort of thing. Relate the punishment to the offense. Eighth, gain the support of the class. In other words, try to use positive peer pressure. So here's a, here's a guy that's goofing off in sort of a bizarre way. He's 
making funny sounds with his nose or something. I had a boy that would loudly belch. And maybe it was, uh, maybe he had a bit of a, well, I think it was mostly gain attention. But I was He sort of got the message and his, his belching stopped. Deal quickly. Ninth place, but not hastily. You can say, I'll see me at recess. Gives you time to think, to pray, to calm down if you're emotionally upset. Now then, some methods of correction. Give signals to change. So it might be, Karen, please be quiet. It might be a shake of the head. It might be detentions. Um, now in a detention, I insist on a certain posture. So these students, this is the front of the classroom, they need to put feet flat on the floor, they need to put their hands together like this, not like, not like this, like this, and they can't turn around, which allows me to observe them from the back, and it allows me to read signals. So if I see them like this, it's kind of like this, where one foot is back here, I say, okay, I don't think they've learned the lesson yet, so they can just sit there some more. And then once I see that their attitude seems to be have improved, then I can let them go. But there's a certain posture there. And they can stay there a long time if they're, and, and, and maybe they're just forgetful. And so I might, you know, throw them remind them and then observe them again. And I don't have to stay there all the time with them either because I should be outside. Don't uh, keep students in regularly at recess. It's probably those students that need the recess time the most. Part B, lines and extra work. Just to give a message, give a signal to them. Embarrassment, hmm, rare. Sometimes they, uh, they call, they, they embarrass themselves. Um, I, I don't know if I, I did the right thing in this particular case, but I, I had a, this grade six student and she uh, would play with Play-Doh, you know, the teacher had doing science or social studies or maps or something. Had this, so she kept this in the, the desk and then it, while the teacher would be talking with her, She'd get this Play-Doh and be messing around with it. Just, just rebellious. So the teacher talked to me and I said, well, I have, a, I have an empty desk and I can usually try to keep it in my classroom so that teachers from other classrooms can send the student to me and they'll sit here and bring their books along. And then they uh, have all the other students looking at them, which is sort of embarrassing. But So I said, have the student bring her Play-Doh along. You know, usually you use a Play-Doh in grade one and two. Here was a grade six girl. So she brings her Play-Doh along and said, okay, continue on doing what you were doing downstairs in the classroom. So she did that for 30 seconds and was embarrassed. I said, ready to go back downstairs again? That was the last, that was a problem with, with that uh, Play-Doh. And uh, she came to my class uh, later on and, and we actually had a very good relationship. Um, one uh, teacher never used corporal punishment, but did something worse. As a man teacher, there's disobedience. Parked himself in front. And he stared nonstop. How do you feel there? Uh, you want to change your ways? I'm not sure about that way either, but uh, use the hairy eyeball method, I guess, for some things. Secondly, you can send them to the principal, which can be rather intimidating, making that walk down the hall. Then corporal punishment. I mentioned that earlier. There should be support of the parents. I like to have knowledge of 
parents knowledgeable. I always want a witness. I want to have it reasonable, not abuse. My wife gets uncomfortable with me needing to give a spanking because of the climate in Ontario about spankings. So the last few years what I've done is communicate with the dad. This is the problem. Often it's dishonesty. That's been a problem at home. I'll say, why don't you deal with it at home or you can come to school and deal with it here. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm moving a little more toward parental. I sort of used to think that's just sort of a cop-out to give the job to the parents, but I'm not sure how it is in your state. Fourth thing is prayer. If they're an older student, if they're a Christian, you can appeal to them on that basis. You can uh, have a long-term removal of a privilege. This is something for older students. You're wondering at what age. <clears throat> I teach those that are older, to, older than 12. We have a playground that's about 400 meters around, 425 yards. So something I've started doing <clears throat> with some hard cases. Doesn't happen very often. Don't think it happened at all this last year. Um, but at recess time, all the rest are, it's usually boys, but not always. Um, all the others are playing baseball or volleyball or whatever. I have the student <clears throat> start walking toward a certain point. <clears throat> and then they walk to the other side of the, and then they walk here and take some boat several minutes to get all the way around and then they do it again and then they do it again and they do it all recess and they do it at noon hour and they do it at last recess and the next day they do it the same thing over again until I sense that they're of a, a broken attitude that they're ready to cooperate and they can stop doing that. So I can often read by the way they're walking or if there's somebody else that, or if they're trying to communicate with their friends who are playing baseball so I've had fairly good success with that. Uh, uh, sometimes it's taken a week of walking. It's good exercise, and I can be out there enjoying the baseball game too. And I'm still observing, and I'm still supervising the students. So that's something that might work for older students. You can talk to the parents about the uh, problem. Probably going to be doing that before, yeah, you will before corporal punishment. Seventh, there's suspension. So a student may not come to school for a week. Uh, the way we do it at school is they need to si sign a letter saying that they will be fully cooperative before they come back. And ultimately, there's out the door. Now, what questions might you have about particular situations or any response to what has been shared already? Some teachers, like the kids being wild or loud or something, um, or disobedient, they'll like make them stay in a recess and find Bible verses that match their fence and write it down. How do you feel about that? How do I feel about writing out Bible verses or finding Bible verses? Finding them probably is better than just taking a passage from Isaiah and writing it out. I mean, the dictionary is sort of the same idea. You don't want them to hate the dictionary, but I'd rather have them write out the dictionary. In the Bible. Some teachers justify themselves by saying, well, they can learn at the same time. But it has to do with attitude. So the closest I've done would be to take, if, if somebody who has been grumbling, complaining, whining, uh, having an adverse influence on others, I have already taken Philippians 2.14, do all things without murmurings and disputings, and say, how does this, I'd like you to write out how this applies to you, or perhaps um, not not a lengthy thing, or, or maybe it's. Uh, I, I sometimes will have them do some writing, which allows me to see and have an insight into what they're thinking about their misbehavior, how it affects other people. Um, have you had experience personally with needing to write out Bible verses because of misbehavior? Or any comment about that? 
I, I'm, I'm sort of reluctant to promote that, but uh, this should be handled carefully. I mean, you could say, all right, would you like uh, detention for the next three days, or would you like to look in your Bible and find some verses about this? So then they have an option. That's about the closest I can think of. Yes? So if you realize that, we were thinking about, you know, the student comes and, you know, doesn't, they haven't had their breakfast, or the student comes and, you know, that maybe their home situation isn't very good. Do you, are you careful then how you discipline that child, or you discipline the same as? Yeah, were there special cases? Uh, you, you try to be consistent and at the same time be compassionate. So, yeah, you might have to get some advice from your principal in particular cases. You want to be consistent, as I say, so that other students don't feel you're favoring. You know, students tend to have an acute sense of what is fair and unfair on the part of the teacher. I taught my four children, children at the school, and they felt I was being unfair to them because I was stricter or more consistent with them than I was with the other students. I don't know. Maybe. I was probably conscious of that. And, you know, if you're teaching siblings or your own children. Okay. I'm 15 seconds late. And one thing about discipline is you should be as prompt as you want your people. You can hang around here and ask questions if you like and discuss things further. Next thing is in order after. Thank you for your participation. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.